0: Clap hands,
1: clap hands. Row, row, where my doe. Baba a lava, diva, lava, zebra, dava, doe. Hobber, lava, jeeva, dava, dream, and no Be by, doobies, abba, diva, dava, do. Like a dog, do. Like a dog. I got the dog here with me. I felt like it was apt. That is "Clap Hands" by my man Tom Waits. It's our second time doing a record by him, and this one is his 1985 album "Rain Dogs." And guess what, playa? It's number three ninety nizzle out of five fizzle on the five hundred with me, Josh Adam Myers, the King Cadoodle. What's up, fleece army? You guys living good? Are you guys excited about tomorrow night? Because guess what? Tomorrow, Thursday, October fifteenth, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I don't know around the rest of the world, so that's on you. Text me, I'll tell you what time it is. But we are doing the goddamn Comedy Jam, completely virtual, piped into your homes. And you get to be a part of it. And when I say that, this studio that we're using, in crowd it's new technology it's basically zoom but on a much more elaborate cooler more functional scale where we can hear you you can hear us we hear the laughter i can make fun of you sitting in your home and you can shit on me i'm so excited to do this uh we have an incredible lineup guys jim jeffries steve byrne jamie kennedy the Scholar brothers tony baker adam ray and of course Mosh Pit and Razorblade and my band P. Comics are going to do a stand-up set. They're going to tell you a story about why they chose the song they're going to sing and then they're going to sing it with a live band. You get to watch it home, man. Get your tickets at the500podcast.com We got a link there. I want to see you guys at the show tomorrow night, October 15th at 10 p.m. Don't forget, guys, about the song challenge. We're giving you the opportunity to write the theme song for the 500. I know there's a lot of listeners out there that are musicians. I know. I can tell by the way you tweet at me. You're like, Josh, you're fucking up on, on the, the, the musical stuff. And I'm like, all right. I'm trying my best, musicians. But we've got the 500 podcast theme. I want all you guys. Try your best. One grand prize winner gets a year subscription to the 500 Club with free merch And uh, we will play it. And guess what? We're going to vote on it if you're a part of the Patreon. So go to our website for details and submit your music by emailing 500podcasts at gmail.com. And I said the Patreon, join the Patreon, everybody. Just join it. You get free stuff. It's awesome. You want to find out about this record? Because it's a doozy. Released on September 30th, 1985 on Island Records, this is the self-produced ninth studio album by the one and only American singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Tom Waits. Now, we talked about his bio on the last one, so we're just going to give you a little skadoodle to catch you up. Born in Pomona, California in 49, Tom began hitting the San Diego folk music circuit as a teen in the late 60s and early 70s before moving to Los Angeles in 72 to be a songwriter. Now, the dude had an ear for jazz and an eye on contributing to the American Standard Songbook. He was a sensitive and thoughtful balladeer with a persona of a wisecracking beat poet. In LA, he signed with David Geffen and Elliot Roberts' Asylum Records and proceeded to have little critical and no commercial success with his first album, Closing Time, until the Eagles recorded that album's old 55. He made about six more albums with varying degrees of underground and mainstream success for Asylum while building his critical and cult following toured a lot, acted in films, and had a romantic and musical relationship with Bette Midler and Ricky Lee Jones before meeting his future wife, collaborator-manager muse Kathleen Brennan in 79 and marrying the following year. She turned him on to more avant-garde and experimental musicians like Captain Beefheart and Harry Parch, which heavily influenced his next career direction as he moved to Island Records. That reinvention, which included a lot of eclectic style sounds and Tom's expressively raspy vocals that are now synonymous with his next period were first displayed on 83's Swordfish Trombones, which was a critical success. It was also the beginning of his continuing self-producing. In 1984, following that success, Tom moved to New York and found a basement boiler room rehearsal space in lower Manhattan for two months to write his next album. The songs would be a fusion of rock, blues, jazz, and more experimental excursions that were inhabited by the dark and compelling characters he saw out his window and around town and who were living life stories of the urban dispossessed. This became the second record of a trilogy that began with Swordfish trombones and concluded with 87's Frank's Wild Years. Well, not the same as the previous records, Raindog utilized many similar recording techniques and sounds, like accordions, marimbas, horns, and various traditional and innovative percussion instruments. To begin the writing process, Tom would first show and arrange each song with his bassist since 1980 until today, Larry Taylor, who had previously played with the Monkees and Canned Heat. And besides, some special musical guests like Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones and G.E. Smith of Saturday Night Live. G.E. Smith! He added the unique lead guitar stylings of Mark Rebo and the trained avant-garde percussionist Michael Blair, who would both fulfill Wait's vision for a junkyard orchestra. With 19 songs on a single record and running almost an hour, it might've benefited from a little bit of editing, but it was still mostly well-received. Despite only reaching 118 on the US charts and 29 on the UK chart, It was the NME's 1985 Album of the Year. It's considered one of Tom's most popular albums, if not the most. And with this, and every album since, he's further cemented his reputation as one of the most successful and relevant cult artists ever. And my guest today is a true Tom Waits fan, and it's an honor and a pleasure when you get to sit down with somebody that can speak so perfectly about the way they feel, what they love about the record, And is also an incredible artist himself. From the band Dawes, singer, songwriter, and guitarist, Taylor Goldsmith. Dawes is such a dope band, and Taylor formed Dawes with his brother Griffin Goldsmith on drums, bassist Wiley Gelber, and keyboardist Lee Pardini. And I fucking love them. Seriously. This was such a dope interview. I mean, it's so it's like perfect timing too because Dawes has a brand new record out which is incredible called Good Luck With Whatever and you can find it on all platforms but you should buy it. Give them money because they're dope. Rate, review! And most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms and if you're listening on Stitcher or Apple leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. We appreciate it. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the 500 podcastcom Well, guys, nothing left to say, but hey, Tom, you want to take it? Oh, well, sure, I want to take it. Here we go with number 399 with Rain Dogs by me, Tom Wade. Go in the path. Path. Dude, this is I. This is the most like Tom Waits I have ever sounded in my whole life. Uh, I always sound like a, a distant cousin of him. But I just got back from Lake Las Vegas doing shows on a yacht. I'm exhausted, and I mean, this whole morning I was like, I was like, is the universe trying to tell me something? Because do you do a do you do a tom waits because your buddy chris does
0: i mean i feel like everybody's tom waits impression lasts like like 10 seconds tops before you have to like start coughing and like you're kind of fucked up for the next like five minutes
1: dude that's my life bro can you not shit on me because i constantly (laughs) like
0: i'll try to sing along in a tom waits voice and just like like feel it for the rest of the day give me just give me a give me Two seconds of Tom oh man I, I don't even know if it's that if it's gonna be good enough but um just cough cough the... and hack
1: that's all you have to do
0: <laughs> Will I see you? that's great dude that's great
1: <laughs> you know what's funny is like every time I call like spectrum or something I bet there's a guy on the other line like before I give my name and it's like is that Tom Waits <laughs> calling about faster internet speed <laughs> so so let's get to it because this is a long record and uh this worked out this is like serendipitous because uh me and my booker is like i said off air we're trying to get you on because i'm a huge fan and also you know you're an incredible artist uh with dawes and we were talking about getting you on and then our friend chris sullivan who did mule variations a few months ago who can do a far better tom waits yeah
0: his tom is is top notch it's it's yeah but yeah. he,
1: he recommended you Connected Us. He said, this is one of your favorite records, one of your favorite artists. So so to start this off, just take me on your journey with Tom Waits. How did it start?
0: It started, you know, it's funny because I feel like if you ask me about certain artists, like how did it start with certain groups? I, I don't even know if I'd remember anymore. But with Tom Waits, I luckily, it is like a pretty imprinted memory for me. It was. Um, I was, I guess I was like, 16 or something it was basically the last month of cd stores and um and and i was uh it was this place called hear music in santa monica is this little cd store where you could where um you you could whatever you wanted to 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 look at that you could listen to the whole thing uh real cutting edge at the time (laughs) and um and uh I, um, was looking, I forget what else I was getting. I think it was like, there was a new bright eyes record or whatever. And I saw Tom Waits' blood money, which was the record, I guess at that point, that was the new record for him. Um, and, uh, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm I, maybe his name rang a bell, but I didn't know any of his music and I just bought it because I liked the album title and the, the weird, his weird face and i was like okay i'm a, i'm a kid looking to figure out what i like and i'm just going to buy this and buying it and, and and listening to it it was that feeling that like you know like with with those with those artists that are really going out there first time you hear the dead or or zappa or tom waits like where you really get this impression of like are you allowed to do this? Like, is this actually like okay to make music that sounds like this? Like this can't be allowed or, or if it is, it must be like some weird like guy that makes musicals that like no one's ever heard of or something like to think like, this is popular. This is someone that is respected widely was just kind of like making all the alarms in my brain go off. And so I was, I was like, I have to hear everything. I love that album so much. And it's funny because like, all due respect to the big man, like it's not necessarily like a top five Tom Waits record for me, but because his quality consistency is so, or his quality is so consistent that, um, that even blood money was enough for me to be like, I'm hooked for life, whatever you do, I love. And then, yeah. I was like in, and then, and then a week from that, I started going back and forward or whatever. Like I got Alice, which I guess came out the same day or something as, as, as blood money, but then went back into the, the catalog. And, um, you know, you find new variations, you find, um, the heart of Saturday night and like the, or, or, um, uh, you know, all these other early, later, whatever. And, um, and, and, and I mean, Rain Dogs really felt like, and still feels like, this sort of like this 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 um culmination of everything before it, and the mother of everything that came after. Um, more so than than um, you know, Swordfish Trombones. Even though I love that album, it just felt like it was still this primordial Rain Dogs almost, where it's like, like it's he's still like on the verge of it and then rain dogs felt like the summation and then afterwards it's like oh yeah Mule variations rules to me because to me it it sounds like rain dogs (laughs) like it's like it always became the the reference point for his greatness um not to say that those records aren't yeah equally insane but it just felt like like you know like when you hear um let it bleed where it's like, Oh, Keith found his guitar tuning. He found his way of like, it felt like this realization, like stepping into an identity record. And, and that's how rain dogs hit me. And so, um, that's, that's, that's how it happened. So, so this is actually, you mentioned a couple other records. Like, so, so, so supposedly rain dogs
1: is considered the middle album of a trilogy that includes, uh, like you said, swordfish trombones and Frank's wild years. For me, I've only listened to this record, and Mule Variations, Mule Variations we did first, and now this one. Um, I mean, Tom Waits is such an interesting character, so it's it, it just kind of blows my mind that this would be something that you would get into at, at such an early age, because it, it's so out there. Like, why <laughs> did you connect with it? I mean, were, was it because the, he was breaking all the rules? Was it the lyrics? Like, what was it?
0: Um, I did, I mean, like, him as a lyricist is definitely pretty he's pretty insane as a lyricist and and I think underrated. I mean, I don't know if he's underrated. People love him as a songwriter, but I don't know if people talk about that specifically as often as the, the entire picture, like the lyrics that he writes is, is are nuts. Like even on a song like time off of rain dogs, when he says the rain sounds like a round of applause, like no one pulls that off. No one does that. Like he, he has this sense of imagery and, and also making it poetic that like few people can even step to. Um, it's interesting with, like, the trilogy because, like, those two, like, like I said about Swordfish for Bones, like, it feels like here's a couple songs, but here's also a couple moods. Here's a, like, it just feels like this, like, I mean, it's, it makes for a really fun listening experience, but it's like, it's not song, 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 song. song um and then frank's wild years is even trivier like it's 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 it, it it's pretty actually challenging um to me compared to rain dogs um it's his bitch's brew yeah it, it goes out any and, and but also again it becomes like what you know part of part of what's so fun about it with rain dogs it felt like it's on it, at, it's at on its basic level it felt like these are like traditional songs or these are in some cases like Straight up pop songs, like it feel, felt like Rain Dogs is is this filter that he kind of threw all of these other styles of writing into. Like you listen to a song like Blind Love, and it's like this is just like he's been listening to country music, but be, through the Tom Waits filter, it becomes an insane sounding thing with his voice and the playing. But it's really a country song. Like it's a pretty simple one too, yeah. And or something like um Downtown Train is like a straight up pop hit. Like it's like something you could play at a club. And but because it's his guitar playing and it's his voice and it's that band, it's unmistakably got the fingerprint of Rain Dog. So and the whole album kind of works like that. There's constantly these like, oh now it's polka, now it's now it's you know whatever. Like it's it's even though it's it's singular. It's also a lot of things at once. Yeah, I just love that you said uh "Downtown Train"
1: could be played at a club. I could just imagine like downtown LA, just a bunch of thoughts <laughs> on the dance floor, like, well, "Oh shit, like. that new Tom Waits jam. <laughs> Let me put you pop that booty on that Downtown Train." <laughs> I love it. You know what's funny is I always looked as Tom Waits as the music that Jason Momoa throws axes to and dances like a gypsy with our other buddy, Michael Raymond James, you know, this is the music that you dress like Johnny Depp to you put on 45 bracelets. You stand around a campfire. Somebody's on a banjo. Maybe there's an airstream, you know, maybe ayahuasca, maybe not. I don't know. And, 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 but that's, what's cool about him is that this is, what's so cool uh, Taylor, is it you're joining us on our, this is our 101th episode, oh, cool. JT, is it? Basically, we're, this is 399. So this is, so far, out of this whole list, the most interesting record that we have gotten, where I am like, this sounds nothing like Anything we've done, even (laughs) mule variations, yeah. Because this seems like an even crazier like journey into New York, and that I fucking love. When I found out that he wrote this in New York at RCA, Mm -hmm. and this is about those people that he saw on the street that are just fucking. Because I was just in New York, and now like because of the the apocalypse, the pandemic, whatever (laughs) you want to call it, people like all so many people are off the street, so you see the crazier people that are out even more. And I'm like, and I was, I was digging on this while I was in New York. And I was like, like, did this is, you know, (laughs) is this soundtracking it? Like, (laughs) so, so it's, it's an incredible record. It's, it's definitely, like I said, the most interesting that I've dug into so far. Um, But one thing, like you said, is underneath those growls, underneath these, these, you know- insane acid trips of music are these beautiful songs yeah. that are disguised because he sounds like
0: he's gargling rocks, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he sounds like me. And also like, you know, one thing that I've said in the past about him is that like he, he, I think it's, a it's, it's kind of the secret weapon of his. It allows him to do more um, than other people would think. Like when I think of certain songs, um, time is a good example, but, and then a lot of the stuff on meal variations, when he gets particularly sentimental, if that was someone with a like, um, normal voice (laughs) singing that it would be pretty gross. Like, I don't think you could really like handle it. It would just be too like sweet. I just would, I'd hate it. Um, but it's because it comes from this like broken voice that it's, that it's digestible. So it's like, he's able to go to this sentimental place, even though like, That seems like the antithesis of what his sound is Um, that like that, you know, I don't know that that if Paul McCartney did, you'd be like, I fucking hate this, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree with you.
1: is the fact that if if he walked into a record company and was like, I've got these songs I want y'all to listen to, they'd be like, get the fuck out. You homeless roustabout, uh, go go work on a dock or whatever the fuck, I don't know, roustabouts do. I was once in carnival. That's that's the reason I know the word roustabout. I played one, should have been Jorbe. Jordan Wong got it, kind of fucked up. He was a senior, I was a junior. I don't know why I'm telling this story. (laughs) Let's dive into the record because there's 19 chunky songs on here and I want to try to get through as many as we can. So what I loved about this is that this album opens with Singapore. Uh, This is a rickety sea shanty uh, to a crew about what to expect at their exotic and dangerous destination, and I feel like that description couldn't be more apt, because this song literally creates a pirate world, and it takes you on this journey, and it's so dope. Um, This is my favorite part of the song. Uh, Peter, play the bridge. The captain
0: is a one-armed dwarf. He's throwing dice along the wharf land of the blind the one-eyed man is
1: king so take this rain. I love that line so much yeah. um so although the line is attributed to 15th century Dutch philosopher Erasmus,
0: I'm gonna that up wait when does he, was, does he is that in like the liner notes or something or does that no, came, that came dude, out? we bro we do some research No, okay? know, I'm just wondering because I'm coming mean, up here
1: all willy-nilly nilly.
0: <laughs> well, because I just wonder as a songwriter, because I've definitely like found lines in books, so I'm like, that's gonna go in my song. And like, but I don't like write it in the liner notes, but I also don't know what the protocol is with that sort of thing. So it's interesting to hear. So
1: it's funny, Taylor, that you bring this up because uh there's a few artists that do not explain their music. And Tom is one of them, but he does explain it, but he does it like very cheekily, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. So so it's he's almost like PJ Harvey. I don't know if you're a fan of her music, but she does not tell you what the songs are about. They're always open for interpretation. So this is all shit that we've just found and we're hoping we're right. I know there's probably some like diehard Tom Waits fan out there that's like, that's wrong, that's (laughs) wrong, that's wrong. This is really about his cousin who's got bad knees, they were rickety, and he he went to Six Flags once. And I mean, so this is basically from a philosopher, uh, in the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Uh, Tom is quoted saying, I took that from Orwell, I think, when asked to explain from which George Orwell book, he cheekily replied, Mary Poppins, one of the big ones. Um, have you done that? Have you like, is there like what you said you fit in lyrics? Yeah. So like, where have you pulled from?
0: Um, I, I've i taken lines from. Uh from like like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Thomas Pinchon, Don DeLillo, those guys, like, I'll like, like, and it's not really taking lines. I mean, it is sometimes, but it's more like just like, oh, these words in the same sentence do a thing to each other. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep them and I'm going to make a whole other little like picture for them. For sure. Um, And then, yeah, if it's something like, you know, in the blind, uh, in the land of the blind, one-eyed man is king. That feels like biblical or something. So it's, so it feels like, yeah, of course Tom Waits didn't invent that nor does it seem like he wants us to think he did, you know?
1: No, and and
0: funny thing was, I wouldn't, you know,
1: have assumed that he did because I don't know if you ever remember seeing the movie Minority Report when Tom... Cruz, it's funny, two Toms we're talking about, when he's like about to remove his eyes, remember that? Am I, is, am I the only person that's seen No, I saw
0: it, but I don't remember that. because There's like the some kid. crazy
1: homeless guy that's like holding his eyeballs like, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Oh, yes. I no, like, I no, like, oh, I should, shit. Yeah. And then it all connects with me. Something else really cool about this song, uh, Tom described writing and singing this as if the famous British actor Richard Burton had a bottle of festival brandy and was preparing to go on board a ship. If everybody doesn't know who Richard Burton was, famous British actor, was married to Eliza- Elizabeth Taylor twice. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the movies. Uh, Who's Afraid of G- Virginia Woolf, I think, was one of them. Mm-hmm. And as for the recording... Tom couldn't get a drum sound he liked, so rather than using electronic devices and mixing, they recorded a two by four banging on a chest of drawers. yeah, um, tell me thoughts on this song, what do you feel?
0: um yeah, I mean, like I think I think um like that's some of the most fun um th- that's one of the most fun aspects of Tom Waits is like when you hear a sound you you know that there's like a life behind it, there's a story behind it, and I feel like. That's something that we intuit as listeners, like, you know, we, especially at Pro Tools in 2020, I mean, you can, you can really create the most wild soundscapes, like from a laptop without even touching an instrument. And when you hear Tom Waits, you feel a room, you feel like uh, the clang of the dresser falling over or whatever it is, like you feel it hitting the walls in the room, like you just something about it. Um, makes it authentic. And it's not just because it's Tom Waits. It's because like, no, if we want to get that sound, let's figure out how to make the fucking sound and then do it over and over again, not copy and paste, just do it. Um, and so everything has this life to it for that reason. I also love like, you know, that bridge that you played is a really actually cool example of this. <clears throat> when you go to the early records of Tom Waits, it's much more croony, much more like, I mean, to the extent that he does that. Um, but it's, you know, it seems much more like piano songwriter, um, where he's, he's, you know, show, showing you that the chops that he has, the chordal like compositional chops that he, that he came from like a real j- understanding of jazz chords and stuff. And by the time you get to rain dogs, it's like a lot of these songs are like one chord. And, and it's just this like, you know, b- fifth, the bass playing fifths, a bunch of insane percussion and him doing this cool melody. And like, it never leaves a chord um, with, with, and then I, this bridge is the, of, of, of Singapore is this cool example of that like wink from Tom Waits of like, you know, if, if, and when I need that muscle, if, and when I need some, a beautiful progression to lead me to the next thing, like here's this. And all of a sudden there's that trumpet going along with those chords over this bridge that really opens up um, what's been happening in the song before that. So I, 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 I love that.
1: Yeah, I, he creates a world. You almost feel like you're sitting in the room. You yeah. know what I mean? When he's recording. We did a song by uh, Dr. John where he's like drunk and he pulls away to talk or to sing. And he, and you, but, you, it, but you feel it. And it's yeah. like one of those things where like, God, I would love to be there while they're yeah. recording this. Out of everything on the record, this is, this is definitely the, you know, like I said, it's creating that pirate world. And it's phenomenal. Great way to open the record. Then he drops into what I think is the best song on the record, uh, Clap Hands. Uh, So this was based on the kids' jump rope rhyme. God, that was hard to say. That was originally from a 1930s song called Little Rubber Dolly and later used on Shirley Ellis' 1965 hit, The Clapping Song. Uh, I think the best way to describe this song is gypsy hip-hop. Uh, Peter Kickus. Steam steam, steam to bad dreams Going up to Harlem with a pistol in his jeans A $50 bill inside a paladin's head. And nobody sure with Mr. Knickerbocker You hear what I'm talking about? The cadence of, I mean, these lyrics. Yeah. I mean, this, you, if you take that, put that on a different beat, I mean, that's, you could, this is, this is, this is most of, this is the roots. Yeah. This is, this is any hip hop, but it's got his flavor. So, yeah. you know, people, are, he, are, he,
0: he does such a cool thing where he's able to, he makes the universe in his songs so big by giving you so little. Like, nobody's sure where Mr. Knickerbocker's at. You're like, what? what? Am I supposed to care about Mr. Knickerbocker? Is it bad that he's gone? Like, is it is is the, are we going to hear more? Are we going to like find him eventually? Bring and him that back. that's the only line about him. Um, and like that's such a that's such a power of Tom Waits where he he do, he doesn't um, he doesn't hold your hand through like telling you his story. It's like here's the. 5% I'm giving you and then yeah. you get to populate it however you so choose afterwards. Oh my god, I love that. All right. I also Tom, know how he recorded this. Sorry. Like just um cuz you know, I think this like even listening to that clip you just played, um most of the time when there's a like there you go to the studio and you sing a vocal, everyone's like make sure you get those P's right and you like move your head a little bit when you have to say P and you can hear him like with the compressor cranked up, just like fifty dollar bill inside a paladin hat. Like he's just like yeah. hitting it as hard as he can, and it's so cool because it's like I, I don't fucking care about popping. I don't
1: give a fuck. Yeah, he's drunk probably.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? He's he,
1: this guy. He's got ninety five bracelets on. He smells like patchouli. You know? You <laughs> yeah. know he smells like patchouli whiskey and leather.
0: You
1: know? Like if you go to that, you live out here in L.A. Right? Yeah. Do you ever do you know a store called Schaefer's Garment Hotel? No. It's on Sunset Boulevard. It's like if you want to dress like um like not not a Mumford and Son, but maybe like a Mumford and second cousin. That is where you shop at. And I all my shit, this shirt, fucking the jeans I have, the boots, like and you walk in and it just smells like Tom Waits, and they've got literally this painting of Tom Waits up on oh, the wow. wall. Yeah, it's like they idolize him. That's why I'm sure. saying this is because, dude, I know. I've I've partied with Jason Momoa. I'm friends with all his buddies because of my cousin. And the second I heard this, I was like, this is the fucking music that they fuck with. And <laughs> it's crazy. So it creates cool. that throwing axe world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom once said about this as you get older the things it was once important to have around you become less so especially with children new york is like a weapon you live with all these contradictions and intense sometimes unbearable and you know we're talking about contradictions if this is a nursery rhyme this is filled with some dark shit uh you know like the contradictions like millionaires shoveling coal um so i wanted to ask you uh we're talking about scary nursery
0: rhymes and dog shit. What scared you as a child? Oh man. It's a cool question. I mean, I I didn't like I didn't have the like monster under the bed um or monster in my closet th- things. I'm I'm not yeah. was by no means like a brave little kid, but that just I uh, maybe I was just too dumb for like my imagination to like really like conjure that stuff up for me. Um, you know, when I started watching like Y- you know certain movies you're not supposed to watch like a little earlier than i should have like you yeah, know yeah. the exorcist or like whatever that that would mess me up um, how old were you when you saw the exorcist i think i was like 13 or two or something like just that's old dude. yeah I saw yeah, that. I, I, yeah i'm only i was a wimp um, <laughs> <laughs> but like i but yeah i never i never that's interesting to hear it's also cool to hear like um on uh, uh like him talking about Children, because the, well, I, don't, I don't know Tom Waits, never met him, pretty sure I never will, but um, his son, like, he grew up in Moran County, um, a girlfriend of mine from, like, 15 years ago, she grew up in Moran County, and she was really good friends with Tom's kids, and so she would, um, she would, she, and I was like, Whoa, what, what was that like? She's like, well, we didn't know that he was, like, quote, unquote, Tom Waits, we just knew him as so-and-so's dad, and, um, and he was the kind of guy, like, he was not crazy. He was not wearing like crazy top hats with holes in them. Like he wasn't like some oh. show. He was, he was just some sweet dude, but he would still, he still had that voice. And all that we knew is we'd all go to their house and Tom Waits would come downstairs and say like, who wants to get ice cream? It's time for a pizza party. <laughs> all right. Taylor, I know you're lactose intolerant, <laughs>
1: so we got you gluten free. All right.
0: Yeah. So it's like, it's like just to hear that he's this like very active and involved family man. Um, it 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 was so sweet to hear, and also kind of makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah,
1: I I dig that. I mean, I I just I'd only remember if I met him as a kid. You know, hopefully it would be before I saw Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, I don't know if you remember him as Renfield. Oh, yeah. Like I was yeah. eating bugs. I was like, who's that motherfucker? Yeah. Oh, he's he's a singer with that <laughs> voice. Really, that's so cool, though, dude. Yeah. All right, moving on. Cemetery Polka. Uh, this song kind of disturbed me. And let's play the part that really got me, uh, Peter Kickett. Uncle Violet, as a pilot, and there ain't no pretty girls in France. Now he runs a tiny little bookie joint. He says he never keeps it in his hands. Uncle Pilva never leave a will. And the tumor is as big as a neck. As a mistress, she's Puerto Rican. And I heard she has a wood and leg. This uh reminds me of a bad acid trip
0: um what are your thoughts on this um yeah like like some of this stuff is like yeah like you know the tumor is as big as an egg and it's just like yeah. it's all like the humor that is like a big part of in i don't know to my ears of clap hands in singapore is like not as apparent in this one i guess in some ways it's still like um there's you know i don't know he throws the word midget around in ways that I feel like are like a no-no at this point. So it's like, whoa, that's that's like
1: <laughs> You saying that all the time in eighty four. Yeah. Come on, man.
0: Like yeah. was... it's like, wow, you're just you're just totally saying it, totally comfortable with that. Okay, Tom. <laughs> um, I also feel like uh this one's a cool example of Mark Robot, the guitar player's like yes. role in the band, because like in it you know, when they talk about it, I guess like Mark Robot would say like Tom would play us the song once we'd go right into the room to track it. We wouldn't go over it. We wouldn't, it would be like count off and play. And the, and Mark Ribot did this amazing thing on the whole song. I mean on the whole album rather, but, but uh, where it sleeps in and out of like playing the song and then going to these like atonal places where it's just straight up wrong. Um, And it feels so good. It feels so appropriate to the world that they're creating. And this song is maybe the most out guitar playing where he's just kind of doing these, this chromaticism of like, looking for chords that fit that don't and like it kind of goes through the whole song like and it's so it it's i feel like it's like the reason why that song feels the way it does you know along, sure. along with the song itself
1: which is funny that this is the style that he chose to do with this subject matter. Because Tom said, uh, this is dedicated to all the, my dead relatives uh, who are still arguing from the grave with each other. On my father's side, we had all socio- uh, psychopaths and alcoholics. And on my mother's side, we had all these evangelists. So they would finally, uh, they were finally united at the grave. And this is a little family tree for him, really. Wow. Um, and I loved it because when I, when he's going through this, like... Uh, my favorite relative that he's he's singing about, if it is his rel- relative, is Uncle Phil because I love that line, get the money before he loses his mind because you can only imagine that the money is probably buried somewhere <laughs> and the family wants it and – you know, it, it's just great. It's such yeah. a great. If this is his family, they are fucked up. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you: uh, you have some colorful people in your family. Uh, who is the most interesting person in your family?
0: Um, it's uh, it's 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 got to be my dad. It, it, like you know, I, I wish I was a little more um, aware of like my grandparents and stuff. But you know, my parents had me; they were a little older, so I didn't know my grandparents very long. But my dad is definitely like. You know, I was just with him the other day. We were sitting on his porch having our like outdoor COVID hang. And um he was just going through these stories of like when he was in like from 71 to 74, the band his band called Sweat Hog um opened for for Sabbath for for like the whole t- for the nation national tour, like domestic tour. Um, Dude. And uh every time they came to the states, they just kept bringing Sweat Hog with them as the opener. And they were first of three. It was Sweat Hog, yes, Black Sabbath. And um they play with because, yes too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um,
1: and, Long and
0: because I fucking love
1: that song, dude. Yeah, it's like, badass. I was just an Orkin man? Yeah,
0: and with 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 um with Sabbath because I guess they were together so much. He ended up being really tight with Ozzy. It was like my dad, my dad's drummer Frosty, and Ozzy were just this trio. It would just always chill and hang out and have these kind of like, in some cases, pretty horrific um rock stories but my dad just he still like lives in that that place like you know all all through my like upbringing as a musician he was always just like this is all that fucking matters in life this is what it is like music 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 i remember once we were at a show at that place called um tangier it's gone now but here in la oh no where- it was
1: on hillhurst yeah yeah
0: dude i did my first stand- i got to say this i did my first
1: stand up show there uh i I'd, I'd been doing stand up like That might've been my first actual book show. the guy was paying me $150 and he, I lied to him. We were doing Coke and I lied and said I was an experienced comic and, uh, worst (laughs) bomb of my life. I was supposed to do a half hour, ended up doing three minutes. And then I walked off. Yeah, dude. Great venue though.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> and and well, and, and we we played there, and like this, my buddy, this good friend of mine, actually to this day, opened for us, and the electricity at Tangier was so jacked up at the time that my friend got shocked from the mic so bad that it knocked him back first back into the drums, and then that pushed him forward, and he fell on his guitar, broke his guitar, and then when like the paramedics showed up because it was that bad, um, they were like, "What's your name, kid?" and he was like you're going to have to get my wallet out like he couldn't even really like put a, he could tell him to get his wallet but he couldn't tell him his name and so anyway with all that going on my dad comes and finds me and is like you're still playing this show this you have to like like that the, the, the music depends on it basically and i'm like dad there's like 15 people here and like my friend's going to the hospital like i'm not <laughs> playing a show with this electrical problem whatever's going on here but anyway that just illustrates like what kind of what kind of guy is and I and I I thank him for it. I feel like I got my work ethic from him. I probably don't go as hard as he does, but I'm cool with that. Yeah, I, I love that your dad's like Michael Jackson's dad, just like no, you play the goddamn show.
1: These people paid four dollars and bought a drink. It's Tangiers. They didn't charge that much. All right, jockey full of bourbon. Uh, this was the first single. Uh, once again. Uh, he mines nursery rhymes with a twist on Ladybug, Ladybug to have a drunken taxi driver narrate the seedy and likely criminal tale um, I wrote, uh, this is like a rumba into hell uh, Peter, play a little bit put
0: fingers on a portal knife from england
1: So this, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Mark Rebo, uh, who helped define Tom's new direction um, and through his guitar playing. And I mean, that uh, eclectic, jagged guitar work, you can really Mm -hmm. hear on this song. Uh, Thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I feel like this one features the guitar playing most of all. It's also really cool just not to nerd out too hard, but as a guitar player, like he doesn't do any bending on it. It's really like angular. And yeah. um, and it just, I feel like it's, I don't, I feel like it's a choice because you hear, you hear his other playing on other songs on here and other places. And he's, he can be so beautiful on and languid, and, and that's not happening here. And it's, I love it. Um, when I hear this song, my first thought is always um, down by law. You know the movie? um, The Jim Jarmusch movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with with Tom Waits, uh, Roberto Benini, and um, damn it, what's his name? The uh, the, the 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 greatest uh, John Lurie, um, and um, yeah, it's just the three of them. And it's I, that was like my intro into like being a movie nerd. Like I was always just like whatever comes out and Star Wars. You know, that was kind of like my like I didn't care. And um, and and it's funny because down by law as a film did to me what rain dogs did to me as an album where it just felt like you can do this. You can be a filmmaker and do this. This is crazy. That's like the slowest movie, but also the most beautiful movie. Like nothing really happens. Um, It seems kind of like cheap sometimes or like, I don't know what it is, but I, but I was just like addicted to it and I would watch it over and over again. And the opening credit sequence is jockey full of bourbon. Um, because uh, the album came out at the same time as the movie, so I've always wondered, like, to what extent they're intertwined. Because John Lurie actually plays some on Rain Dogs; he plays some saxophone. Um, so uh, it's I, I, yeah. Every time I hear this, even though it's an album written in and to some degree, like, entirely about New York, um, I just think of New Orleans because that's where that movie takes place. No, I just you know, I, I agree with you, what you're
1: saying. Once you hear a song attached to a movie, it's like they they're just. Together, like I'll never hear uh, "Lust for Life" and only think of I only think of Train Spotting <laughs> when I hear that Iggy Pop song. Um, but I this is this is where I feel Tom is at his best. I love I love these characters that he creates, and and this song also it's a nice departure from the song right before. You know, whereas like he's going crazy on the other one, he's bringing it back down. It's still based in reality
0: and uh, it's phenomenal. Up until that point, it just feels the most like songy song. Like I feel yeah. in, a, in a weird way, like Jockey Full of Bourbon feels like when you get to like Visions of Johanna on Blonde and Blonde, like you've done Rainy Day Women and then you've done that. Um, Uh, I'm pledging my time like these two weird bluesy things and you're like what's going on where's Bob Dylan and then visions of Joanna like I feel like jockey full of bourbon kind of functions that way like I love the first three tracks but they're really like a it's a intense pill to swallow of like what this album is and then jockey full of bourbon is like oh and these are songs too yeah
1: yeah (laughs) totally hey you do you have any plans this year (laughs)
0: 020-D.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hey, this is Scott from on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: All right, uh, moving on to Tango Till You're Sore. So I found this, and this is dope. Tom has introduced this live by saying, this is a song about suicide, but it's a fun song, so don't go getting depressed. As well as, this is about a guy that fell out a window on New Year's Eve, and the only thing that broke his fall was the fact that he had a little confetti in his hair. Um... I mean, he's not wrong. Um, Even though Tom came up primarily as a piano-playing singer-songwriter, this is one of only two songs on this album on which he actually plays the piano. And the Tarantella he sings about is both a traditional Southern Italian dance where couples rapidly spin each other as well as the song played to accompany it. Uh, let's play a little taste, Peter, kick it. Let me fall out of the window with confetti in my hair. Deal out Jackson better on a blanket by the stairs. I tell you all my secrets, but I lie about my past. So send me off to bed forevermore. I think, that's, I think that's my favorite line on the whole record. Uh, I tell you all my secrets, but I lie about my past. I don't know why I connect with that so much because it's such a contradiction, um, but I think it's the line of the record, in my opinion. Uh, thoughts?
0: It's also one of those incredible lines that, like, it, and I mean this in a good way, it's so universal and so, like, just such like why you go to music, what you go mu- to music looking for. Like I could hear that on a Joni song. I could hear that in a Bob Dylan song. I could hear yeah. that in like a, a Neil Young song. And um, they'd all, I'm sure they'd make it their own and it would have a different emotion attached to be co- coming out of their mouths. But it's just like, yeah, it's just that like top shelf songwriting moment of like, yep, this is, these are the nuggets you look for. Um, so let me ask you this, let me ask you this. In your life, what
1: is a lie you once told but got caught telling
0: um in like two thousand and nine i um I got called on my like at this time it was like a Nokia cell phone and like and so it was like, hey man, I was like, hey, and I didn't recognize the number and so I just started engaging with this dude on the phone, and he's talking to me, and I'm thinking like he's so familiar with me, not to me, but with me, so I'm assuming yeah. like I'm about to realize who this is. Uh, and like, and I can't. And I, and eventually he's like, well, anyway, like Steve, and I'm like, oh my God, I've been on the phone for like 20 minutes with someone who thinks I'm someone else. And I've just like totally gone with it. (laughs) And he's like, and then because I was like a 24 year old, like coward, he was like, so good for tomorrow. I'm like, yep. (laughs) <laughs> and like so like all of a sudden i'm making plans with this guy who i don't know and um he's like okay i guess i'll see you there too i'm gonna get there too is that good for you like yeah yeah and i just want to <laughs> get off the phone so um i do and then the next day uh, his phone lights me up and um and he's uh and he's leaving messages like where are you at man and i didn't i was i felt so bad i was like i can't you ignore it what no, did you answer? Or did you? No, I didn't answer. So like I just I um, he got stood up by his friend that never met him. I'm I'm hoping that he figured it out and realized like some asshole that I called didn't have the guts to tell me that uh, I wasn't who I, he thought I was. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure I got caught in the lie, but we never actually had a confrontation about it. This guy now hates Steve.
1: You know that, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I and Steve was a nice guy. Yeah. Steve listened, and Steve would, would give him good advice, and now he's like, fuck Steve. I don't want to ever talk to him again. But he's like, but I really like that band Dawes, though. <laughs> fuck Steve. Fuck Steve. Um, Big Black Mariah. Uh, so the title vehicle, which is often uh, also referred to as Black Maria, was originally a police truck or van used to take arrested people to jail but it's also since become slang for a hearse and uh the vehicle's non-pc origins are rumored to be named for maria lee a large strong black woman who owned a boarding house in boston in the 1800s who would help the police round up unruly criminals uh peter play a little bit This is Tom at his most graveliest and this is when I really like it because I had no fucking idea what he was saying until I read the lyrics.
0: Yeah, that's I've I've never known that. I didn't know what it was. I've always just vibed on this song as like a bunch of sounds and cool lines but didn't know what a Big Black Mariah was. This shit slaps, dude. Yeah. Yeah, people the kids are saying this shit
1: slaps now. This shit slaps. Uh but this is the big end. <laughs> 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 this, this there's no real connection between tongue and top of mouth. Uh, Really cool about this. Don't know if you know this, Taylor, but this is the first of two songs on here featuring one of the greatest guitar players of all time, Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. Uh, And Tom explained about their collaboration. I picked out a couple of songs that I thought he would understand, and he did. He's very spontaneous. He moves like some kind of animal. I was trying to explain Big Black Mariah, and finally I started to move in a certain way, and he said, oh why didn't you do that to begin with (laughs) now i know what you're talking about it's like animal instinct i had no idea but you know what's funny the first time i listened to this i was like god it sounds a little a little (laughs) keithy
0: thoughts on this song yeah i was gonna mention that same thing just like a lot of that like pull off suspension chords like like very stonesy when you know it's him like um obviously it's Tom Waits so so you wouldn't necessarily put this on and hear like oh it sounds like a Rolling Stones song because it doesn't but uh but if you listen for Keith you hear him and um and it also like it's a I feel like he like his love for Keith and inviting him to be a part of this especially in like you know 84 when like it's like tattoo you era stones or a little bit after that I guess um it just shows like Tom Waits like Tom Waits isn't one of those dudes that like talks in a fake accent and try is is trying to like revive the good old days or something musically where all my gear is only made from this, you know, like he's not one of those guys. Like, I feel like he's actually a a contemporary artist looking for other like-minded contemporary artists that have that, that animal relationship to music that he's talking about. Like I, I, Keith is maybe my favorite guitar player. And I think it's because of that, 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 um, blend of like recognizing when something's beautiful, but also like that reactivity that doesn't feel like it's over intellectualized or like overly rehearsed. Yeah. It's a very reactive guitar playing. And, um, and so it makes total sense that like that, um, that Tom Waits would be like, that's my dude in the biggest band in the world, you know? And I think that that is a testament. I think that that it, it, I don't know for me personally, I think it helps break down, it helps you get what Tom weighs is about. Like understanding yeah. that he loves Keith is, I feel like a clue towards like cracking the code. Yeah, no,
1: I agree. All right. So you've played, uh, with some pretty classic musicians. Um, who were you most blown away to work with? Um, I
0: think Elvis Costello. Um, oh, wow. yeah, just cause, uh, he, because he's like, I've I've been like you know all all these dudes are gnarly for sure but with with Elvis there was this cuz our job like the record that we made together was um to write music to these Bob Dylan lyrics um and that weren't that didn't have music to them from back in the day and um there would be some of them were full songs and so we would just make music and then some of them were like a verse and we'd have to f- finish it and finish the words and then write all the music. And Elvis was the kind of guy where it was just like, oh, there's one verse here. We need three more verses. And you'd like look away or blink. And all of a sudden – the rest of the song was written. He's like, this, this could work. And he just is like that. Like, I think when we all talk about like as creative people, like I wish I just had more control. I wish I like knew where the switch was and I could turn it on and, 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 and write when I wanted to, like, he really is that person. He really does. He really did find that. Um, A friend of mine, he he worked with a bunch of friends of mine at a certain studio where he, he met a producer at the studio, the band. He's like, I want to work with you guys. And they were like, cool, when do you want to do it? And he said, "Um, well, I don't have any songs right now. So what do you say, three weeks? And like, sure enough, he came in three weeks later with a whole album's worth of music. So anyway, long answer to your question, but it's got to be Elvis. All right, so I got
1: to ask you this question as a follow-up. Do you know if he lives in the Beechwood Canyon area? Because I go to the Gelson's on Franklin, and there's a dude that I, I keep thinking is Elvis Costello, but I'm too afraid to go up just in case it's not. So you don't have to give his address, but is he in the Beechwood Canyon Franklin area?
0: I'm fairly certain he does not live there. I mean, because okay. yeah, he lives in two just different parts of the world, and they're, neither of them are L.A. Okay. But unless he's moved, um, I mean, it's not like we talk all the time. <laughs> Dude, guys wearing the hat, the glasses. Wow. Like, I, I keep like,
1: uh, I'll, I'll walk by, I'll walk by and I'd be like, what's so funny about peace love? And I'll look at him and see if he knows anything. And he's like, ah, oh, he's not giving me shit. But also he could be in the zone. You know what I mean? Gelson's is a scary place. All right, moving on. Diamonds and Gold. Uh, this is a claustrophobic carnival waltz. And it's about the desperate things people will do for money. Uh, good song, but I want to move on. Uh, Hang down your head. This single was co-written with Tom's wife and longtime collaborator Kathleen Brennan. Uh, Peter, play a little bit. Hang down your head for
0: sorrow. Hang down your head
1: This in my opinion is probably the most conventionally structured song on the record. You know, I love it. It just, but this isn't, there's no gimmicks. And I'm not saying the shit he was doing before was gimmicks, but there's, there's nothing weird about it. This could be, like you said, if it's somebody else with a different voice, maybe, you know, uh, performs this, this could be a single. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Thoughts?
0: Yeah. um, Also, I just love that, um, because you look at later records of his, um, and it's, it almost every single song, is written with Kathleen um, on later albums. So I, it's, it's a, almost like this cool little intro to this. Uh, I know they're married, but it also like, I don't, it, I, I wasn't really aware of it before this album. And then afterwards it's like, they are a writing partnership. So it's cool to like, it, it, this is sort of like a historical, like first taste of what that became.
1: Yeah. So you and your wife collaborated on a bunch of projects. Are, are, are either of you
0: allowed to be constructively critical of each other's work? um totally and i mean we we invite it i mean like there are definitely songs that i write where she's like okay cool like you know it's not her bag and then and um but she's she's always sweet about it but it's 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 helpful for me i mean also you know she doesn't i mean i hope she doesn't mind me sharing this but she doesn't like tom Waits. so it's like there's there's certain there's certain um you know um guiding lights for me that she not doesn't hang with so it's sort of like i like just because she doesn't like something doesn't mean it's still not right on target um yeah. and but i mean yeah when we wrote her record together uh with other friends and stuff it's just like obviously you're honest and obviously you because you have to be you're writing a song it needs you need to like be clear you can't you can't like fib about that when you like they're depending on the that kind of art creative honesty but you just you just figure out one more way to make sure it's couched um, you know, sensitively. So, uh, in, like, if, if it were me and a buddy of mine, I'd be like, no, that's not it. I might not be as like, I might not be as um, I don't, I'm, yeah, I might not just throw it off like that with her. I might just say like, cool, let's do that, and let's like see if there's anything else. You know, like yeah. just the, like one little extra layer. Sure. So,
1: uh, I got a little inside scoop that she's a huge Joni Mitchell fan. Yeah. So let her know she's booked for April of 2026. <laughs> if we're still here when we get the first Joni Mitchell
0: record, uh, yeah, we those, would are, love that those are like probably too high up the list to like, to do anytime soon. Oh, I mean, it would we'd be, we'd be jumping a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Yeah.
1: Um, all right, moving on. I love time. Um, Let's, uh, I want to play this little clip because it might be my favorite lyrics on the record next to the ones that I spoke of earlier so Peter uh, play 243 so put a candle in the window and a kiss upon his lips as the dish outside the window fills with rain just like a stranger with the weeds in your heart and pay the fiddler off till I come back again oh it's time I mean, that's just poetry. Mm. That's just beautiful poetry. Uh, I think uh, it also stands out because there's no percussion on this song. It's just so soft. And this features just Tom on vocals and acoustic guitar, William Schimmel on accordion, and Larry Taylor on stand-up bass. Uh, It's often interpreted to being about how many people regret how they wasted their lives when they realize how close to the end they are. And so they need to realize that right now is the best time to love. And as Tom has remarked saying, time is a precious commodity. That is probably the truest statement I have ever heard in my life. That's what I've been living by for so many years. The last, well, like the last four years where I realized that every moment, this moment, sharing this with you, this is the best moment of my life because it's the only one that I have. And even with COVID, where you can make the choice to be depressed and anxiety ridden because of the work you've lost or this, or you could look at it as like, this is great. Listen, mm-hmm. I get, to, I get to spend all this free time working on my own shit and, and we'll get back to it. We'll get back to a new normal, but it's great.
0: Um, thoughts on this song. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I mean, I get teary when I listen to this song and I think, yeah. and, and it's, it's, it's one of those like magic tricks of his, because you listen to these lines and like, you're getting glimpses of this, um, it's it's like you think you're hearing a story and but when you listen closely it's like all these characters that you're actually not going to be seeing again and so there actually isn't much of a story it's really just this beautiful image this feeling this picture that he creates for you and um and yeah some of these lines coupled with the way that the the way that he plays guitar and the way that the bass is following the progression, there's not a real, um I mean, no pun intended, but there's not real, there's not real time. Like there's not, um it's not some like, oh, there's the groove and we can just hang out there. Like it's, it's really floaty. And it feels like an old man on his like front porch with like yeah. a friend, like singing to an empty street. And, um yeah. and, and yeah, it feels like this, it, you're you're feeling the spirit of discovery. You feel like this song is just falling out and it makes it that much more heartbreaking because of it. It's it's yeah. definitely my favorite song on the album. It's it's fantastic. All right, let's talk about time precious. Uh what
1: moment with Dawes or your musical career was perfect?
0: Um you know, like I think our first two two shows in particular, our last show in L.A. at the at the Orpheum and then our first show at the Beacon Theater in L.A. and in, in New York. And then um, there were some Ryman's in there, too. But I'll just choose to to talk about the Beacon to just make it to give a clear answer. I remember being there for the first time and, um, you know, we've been there doing like radio things for. And so we're part of a bigger bill or we're opening for artists like we've done all that. Um, so to be there as like the headlining act and to, uh, to, to have heard that we had sold it out, that it was going to be a sold out night at the Beacon was really like blowing our minds. And I think like that was a product of our ambitions, how hard we pushed ourselves. And, but because of that same ambition, I was sitting there like waiting for soundcheck to start looking at the empty room and like thinking of the next venue in New York. I was thinking of the bigger venue. I was like, sort of like, well, how do we get to the, um, what's the next, what, what, what will be after this? When is Radio City? Blah, 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 blah. Like all this planning and ambition. And I was, and I kind of grabbed a hold of myself. I was like, whoa, don't do that. You've been wishing for this since literally yeah. day one of Dawes. Like be here right now because this is the thing. This is the exact thing that you told yeah. yourself you wanted to do. So do it. And then, yeah, sure. Have that other voice, but let it wait till tomorrow. Um, yeah. And so and because of like kind of that rechecking in with myself, we played one of the most special shows we've ever played. We felt we felt incredible and we felt connected and we felt present. And um, and it did feel like, wow, we, we headlined a sold out beacon theater show and it, it really felt perfect.
1: What if your guitarist got uh, electric shocked right in the middle of the show?
0: <laughs> I just rem- I remind myself that my dad would insist. Keep going.
1: Keep going. <laughs> keep going. All right, dad. All right, can we do CPR on on my friend? All right, Rain Dogs. So this song starts off with a 30-second accordion intro by William Schimmel, then uh, more demented carnival music. Uh, Peter, play a little bit. <laughs> Possibly one of my favorite moments on the record. Um, I don't know why I'm gravitated to this because I'm not like a circus, music-y kind of guy, but there's something about this that I really like. Uh, As Tom explains about this title song of the album, you know how after the rain you see all these dogs that seem lost and wandering around? The rain washes away all their scent, all their direction, so all the people on the album are knit together by some corporeal... I hope I said that right way of sharing pain and discomfort Um, thoughts on this.
0: Well, that's really cool to hear. One thing that I've always loved about this song um, is that like that accordion intro, like this is, this is the beginning of side two. Um, Like I'm surprised, frankly, that this is a single album. This is just a side a and B because it's like 54 minutes and it's 19 songs, but a lot of them are short. Um, so I guess it was possible. I guess when you get past like 45 minutes or something, you start to sacrifice like fidelity quality, but you know, records like this or highway 61 or well over 50 minutes and they're the best. So it do- obviously doesn't matter that much. Anyway, um, this is track 10 and it's also track one of side two. And I just felt always felt like that carnivaly like accordion intro. I was like, what an amazing opening track kind of vibe. Like it feels yeah. like, Oh man, we're like, we're starting the second wave right now. And like, and so I, it's always, it always feels like this, like this, um, this recharge of a, of a, of a tune. It's funny that you said
1: that about the accordion, because I pulled this quote. Um, so according to William Schimmel, he's quoted saying, Tom told me he wanted to use instruments. Nobody liked anymore. Somebody once said that every high tech era is followed by a high touch era, and nothing was more high touch than the accordion. Tom was a proud uh Ludite? L-U-D-D-I-T-E. L-U-D-D-I-T-E? Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that means, but it means like
0: it means like a I think if I'm not mistaken, like because there's a it's a cool Thomas Pinchon essay about being a Luddite. I might be saying it wrong too. But um just like it's someone that uh isn't um overly like educated, intellectual, like someone who's proud to like to 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 be living according to like what brings them joy and what feels good to them, rather than like um, being too much of a snob, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I think you know.
0: Uh, am
1: I a luddite? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think so. But I'm like, I'm kind of like, like I don't want to be too snooty. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. Look it up. Please, um, God, I want to, I don't, what if it's just like, it's a Holocaust denier. What?
0: Oh my, no, I'm not. No. Yeah. A person opposed to new technology or ways of working. Um, so
1: I was a little off on that, but we all learned something today. Yeah. That's what's even doper. <laughs> all right. Moving on midtown. So this is just a frenzied horn filled instrumental that really captures the chaotic energy of midtown Manhattan. Uh, they recorded this at uh, RCA. Um, Peter, just play a little bit. It's like a chase scene.
0: Yeah. Well, I like it. It's funny you say that because um, on Blood Money, that that record that introduced me to him, there's a song called um, <laughs> Knife Chase and it's instrumental. And, um, and so, and then when I hear this one, I'm like, that title would have been great on this one too. It it totally feels like two guys with knives chasing each other around the street.
1: Yeah. Uh, Then we get to Ninth and Hennepin. Uh, This Mm. song is, this is just boss. So the title of this nightmarish spoken word song came from when Tom and his friend Chuck E. Weiss were at an all-night donut shop on Ninth and Hennepin in Minneapolis, Minnesota, when a pimp war broke out between 13-year-old kids. Uh, Play a little bit, Peter. They all started out with bad directions. And the girl behind the counter has a tattooed tear. One for every year he's away, she said. Such a crumbling beauty. Ah, there's nothing wrong with her. A hundred dollars won't fix. She has that razor sadness that only gets worse with the clang and the thunder of the southern Pacific going by. Uh, this is kind Comptics of like his, uh, you know, really what's he fossil? building? In there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is his what's he building in there moment. Um, Even though this is Minneapolis, uh, the imagery, however, is, is all New York. <laughs> You know, and Tom explained, New York is really stimulating. You can get a taxi and just have him drive around and just start making a list of words that you see, and then you say, "I'm going to write a song, and I'm going to use all these words in that song." Um, this is the only other song on here that Tom plays piano. Um, so this isn't you know, this is I guess this is a staple. Of of Tom Waits to to do these spoken word poetry's, um, thoughts on this. How do you feel?
0: Um, yeah, I mean it's it's like it doesn't feel like a s- traditional song per se, but but um, it's my favorite words. I think of everything, like even the just straight up at the beginning. Well, it's Ninth and Hennepin, and all the donuts have names that sound like prostitutes. Like that yeah. only could come from him. And I and when I when I remember first hearing that, and then you then you're gonna go off on this thing of like. You start thinking about donut names and like, wow, these all would be awesome prostitute names. Like, I want a
1: prostitute. Can you get me? Is, is, is Cruller busy tonight? <laughs> yeah. What about Bear Claw? Is Bear Claw busy? Nope. Okay. Yeah, I'll take totally. Bear Claw for 50 bucks. All right. You're around the world for Bear Claw. Maple Bacon Bar.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's so, it's so, I, that, yeah. The, and then it goes on and on. There it doesn't quit with this song. Like, if, if, I feel like there's so many, um, so many lines where, um, where like um even the bit that you played one for one for every year, he's away and all that stuff just was such a, it's always been like my, I've always looked forward to this for just the sheer words. Cause it is true. Also, it, I don't know if the words are ever as featured as they are in this song On other songs. Like, you know, like when we were just talking about big black Mariah, I'm like, wow, I've never really totally been able to key in just cause it's like pretty frantic and crazy, which I love. Whereas this, um, you know, when he says like all the rooms smell like diesel and you take on the dreams of the ones who slept there, that's really at the forefront of the track. And um, it's really like framed in a way that they, their words aren't always. So you really get to just like live with them in a fun way. Yeah. yeah. I, may I Because being that this is a dangerous
1: situation that him and his friend Chuck were in. What's the most dangerous situation you've ever been in?
0: Um, I think that's got it. We were on an early, early tour and like we ended up, we were leaving Denver. I think where we were driving to Denver, I think we were leaving Denver. And, um, it was like, we ended up get, getting caught in a snowstorm, like way high up in the Rockies and, um, had to just pull over. And we thought like, okay, we'll just walk to that. Like, um, it was bad. And we were like, well, we'll walk to that semi in the distance. And I got out of the car to try to like maybe start walking. I got like five feet. The snow was up to my waist. I was like, I would die even though that, that truck's, feels relatively close it's like i'm gonna die if i if i try to go all the way to that truck so i had to get back in the car and we were just hoping that the gas wouldn't run out and we were hoping we wouldn't freeze to death and um and then within a few hours like you know a a cop car and a snowplow car just paved the way for us to be able to to leave but you know we were we kept making jokes and we kept trying to keep ourselves laughing and keep it light but i think afterwards we were like i think that was way worse than we thought Realized, like, I think we were in serious trouble, and we just didn't know until
1: it was all over. Cut to a different reality where you had to eat your tour manager to survive. You're like, I mean, I'm not, dude. I'm not going to eat the bass player because we need him. We can get rid of you. You're expendable. Not really. If the tour manager is listening, you're not expendable. I love you. You're doing a great job. The number you have reached is one hundred point seven WMMs. It wasn't just a radio station. It was a lifestyle. it is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Right? I do like this. Yeah. Down. The, wrath of the, buzzard. the rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in america profiles the wrath of the buzzard p-r-o-h files subscribe now wherever you get podcasts all right gun street girl this is one of the songs we talked about off air uh so this is a slow sparse uh Shuffling bluesy tune with the unique instrumentation of Tom on banjo backed by percussion, including a parade drum and stand-up bass. So, uh, Taylor, do you remember when I said a few songs ago that that was my favorite moment on the record? <laughs> yeah. I lied. <laughs> Kick it, Peter. Wait upon Radio, four.
0: Left for Keegan at the slamming of the door. Left wall God, I
1: love that. I yeah. just love the noises. I love his cadence. Once again, it's it's gypsy hip hop, mm-hmm. but with like that. I, I, this is such a weird reference, like that, like you know how like Slipknot the band has that that weird guy on like a keg and he just has a bat and he's like hitting it, yeah. like like that, like maybe they got it from Tom because <laughs>
0: that is kind of the same shit. Yeah, and it, it's like it's like a bathroom pipe or something. It feels like they're hitting just like a pipe in a bathroom. But that's fucking boss, man! Yeah. Like the fact that they would
1: even consider doing that, it just it makes the song. Just so much better. Like yeah. if it was just him on banjo, good song. But that ding, <laughs> it's, it's just like, I love it. And totally. Tom explains, uh, Gun Street Girl is about a guy who's having trouble with the law and he traces all these events back to this girl he met on Gun Street right there on Center Market right in Little Italy there. God, having to read his quotes is quite difficult because he's throwing in really bad grammar tom you know (laughs) next time you talk bro kind of make it easier for me dude um you said you love this song so so tell me why you connect with this one
0: um i mean i think you know getting into this album you end up having like relationships over time with 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 everything like it'll just switch around um and i remember um with the, like i was listening to this album again um i think early 2018 or or 2017 or something and um and then i was really honing in on Gun Street girl and um just like again like the narrative but also the lack thereof where you're you're not sure who's who and where like what is like who am I caring about and who am I not and what actually happened to these people. And I just loved all that. And anyway, I also love that it's almost all one chord. It's all this kind of minor chord and he's able to carve out this like very, I mean, I think it's like the longest song on the album. Like it's really um, clear verses, clear choruses, um, but still over this like one kind of like plucked acoustic blues thing, one chord. And um, I ended up writing a song. uh, I wanted to just write Gun Street Girl. Uh, and it ended up being this song called telescope that's on our last record called passwords, uh, or the one before this most recent one. Um, and, uh, so I just, yeah, I was like shooting for gun street girl and I, and I, and I didn't, I missed completely. I mean, it doesn't sound anything like it, which, you know, I was, I was counting on that. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so for that, that that whole experience and like, it, it sort of like made me just lean a bit, little bit closer and listen a little bit closer. And so I, I, I really love this song. So, but uh, tell me about the new record, like, like, cause
1: I, I wanted to mention this earlier, but like, does something like this, does this song influence anything off that new record? I mean, or what are you taking from, from this song? If, if you love it like
0: that? Um, I think like, like I was saying earlier, like there have been other records of ours where I really want to, um, explore the colors available as like a, writer as well uh it's like a composer it sounds stupid but like sure. just really try to like get into that like you know um still crazy after all these years kind of stuff where it's like wow this is like meaty these chords are involved because they're that those are they are fun to play and they are beautiful when you do it right um but i as time has gone on i've drifted more from that and i've and i've responded more to this this um this commitment to simple progressions Like a a songwriter knowing that, okay, this song's two chords or this song's one chord, but I'm still going to um, make it me. Like to me, that's almost more mind blowing than someone who finds a four chord progression that we've never heard before, which is frankly like doesn't really happen. But um, so I think like I try to take, and I feel like it suggests confidence and Tom Waits is probably the coolest example of it. Like he really does have chops. He really like there's records you can find where he can do shit vocally and on piano and he, but he doesn't, but he, and maybe on guitar, I don't know, but he, but he always makes sure it's serving the record and serving the song. He's not, here to like impress you with technical abilities. And um and I think that as as obvious as that should be, I think it's really hard for anybody creative to um intuit and apply. Um, yeah. so as time has gone on, I think records like this stick with me when I'm like writing a new song where it's like, Oh, I guess it's just a blues progression, or I guess it's just one to four back to one. And I'm going to like, I'm going to know that I'll be fine. And that'll, it doesn't need, yeah. I don't need to, no one needs to know that I'm smart. Cause I'm, cause it, that's fucking bullshit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. also, by the way, I listened to the new record yesterday on my way home from, from Vegas. It's phenomenal. Thanks man. man. Great great really, really, really great record for you guys. Thank you. Um, And it's funny that you said about, about progression, um, because the next song Union Square, um, so this one I really, I really dig because this is also, this is another song with Keith Richards on guitar as what Tom calls doghouse rhythm and Tom described, uh, Keith's unique playing stance as such. He leans so far forward, he must have a string attached to the back of his neck, and it's run up and he's being held to the ceiling, and it keeps him from falling flat on his face. It's unbelievable. I, I wanted to play a little clip because this is this is, in my opinion, uh just Tom's version of a Chuck Berry song, mm-hmm. and it's just slick. Uh Peter, play a little bit. <laughs> is just blues but it's but it's their version of it it's a simple song they're not they're not reinventing the wheel but i mean this is as as tom Waitsy could be writing a chuck berry song yeah and
0: you can and you can hear the um the gun street girl pipe again like that's made it into this track and i feel like it's those little things that keep it in rain dogs you know obviously it's his voice but it's also like it sounds like the mic is pretty far from Tom it's see you you hear like a whole room when he's singing it's not some close up vocal it seems like he's like yelling in an empty space and yeah. I feel like it's those little tiny choices that um, make it always feel like this is all the same record
1: yeah I right. totally agree and now we're moving on to blind love uh before I give my feelings on it uh, Peter play the vamp at two fifty one This is uh, a little country from T-Dub, you know? Uh, So I found this from Tom. He explained, Blind Love is one of my first country songs. I like Merle Haggard. Most of those other guys, though, sound like they're all just drinking tea and watching their waist and talking to their accountant. This one, I think, subscribes to some of that Roadhouse feel. Tom was actually ready to throw this out before inventive pioneering punk guitarist, Robert Quine played some Jimmy Reed type licks. Um, I, you know, I think Tom uh, is going into country. Uh, He actually uh, tried to get this onto country radio, but it did not happen. (laughs) Um, And Keith Richards also played guitar on it too and provides the wailing backup vocals. All right. Thoughts on this
0: yeah it's it's like it's it's similar to union square where like union square is like okay here's tom waits doing rock but he just can't help being tom waits like blind love is here's tom waits being a country artist but he just can't help being tom waits again and i feel like you know even i know this record well and and um relatively so and and even like it wasn't really until preparing to talk to you and like really trying to hone in and just kind of have a conversation with myself about each one as i Mm -hmm. listened that it felt like, wow, Blind Love is kind of country. Like, it wasn't like, it's kind of crazy that it didn't really knock me in the head earlier. Cause now that I'm thinking that, it's like, well, that's so fucking obvious. But um, because of Tom Waits' voice and just the way that this album frames each song, it just like, I know I've kind of just said this about the other tune, but it just is always inevitably Rain Dogs. And it's, it's, it, it never felt to me like, a huge departure even though on some level it is yeah all
1: right so being that he wanted to get this on country radio but it didn't happen i wanted to ask you this what's been your biggest disappointment
0: Hmm. um it's so weird how that like it's a good question but i feel like i don't i feel like as creative people it's hard to interpret stuff as a disappointment like I mean, we make records or we write songs or we release singles and it's like, oh shit, like some of these people don't like it, but you just keep kind of t- telling yourself why you made the decisions you did that you don't really give a shit about like anybody's feelings but your own. So I guess in that sense, my only disappointments are when I had a gut feeling about something and I still don't like it. And so, in some cases, those are like decisions that are celebrated yeah um and i and i'm still like that's not what felt true to me and i regret it because um um like you know on our whatever it's not a big deal but like on our fifth record we had this song called when the tequila runs out that i'm i'm super proud of that song um but i also felt like oh it's kind of like a album track you know it's like something that's like not really what the rest of the album's about it's just this fun party song in the middle of the album and we ended up going with it as a radio single and I don't want to say I regret it, but I just never felt like that never occurred to me. And so like looking back, even though it really did well at radio, it was always like, huh, like I, there's something false about it just because it wasn't, it didn't come from our hearts. There was, so you're saying there was
1: something else on the record that you felt much more personal to and much closer to, and you would have rather. Yeah.
0: And this time has gone on like, I like guess, I don't know. doesn't make a difference. I mean, like our fans embrace that song. We play it live and everyone's psyched and I'm psyched. So, and I think as time goes on, no one like you, you and I even talking about how hang down your head was like a single. It's like, I, I had no idea about that. Um And I just don't think, eventually that's one of those aspects of re- records and no one cares about what was the single and what was the second single. Um, but yeah, so it's like stuff like that. I think it's really like the times in my life where I let someone else, um, I'm not a controlling guy. So I'm down when, when it's the band that says like, we want this to be the first single, or we want this to be the, we don't want this song to be on the record. i re- i that feels real. Yeah. But when it's something that there's a part of all of us where we're like, huh, okay, we'll trust this. And then we look back and feel like, that was stupid. No, I get it. All
1: right. Uh, walking Spanish. Uh, great song, but I want to move on. But uh, one thing I didn't want to note, because we brought him up earlier, this does feature uh, the saxophone uh, and Tom's co-star in Down By Law, John Um uh, Great song, but I want to get to this one. I want to get to Downtown Train, uh, because when this came on, I was like, do I fucking know this song? I had no idea. I was like, did he rip off Rod Stewart? Peter, play the (laughs) chorus so everybody can get dialed in what we're talking about. and all right we gotta ask this right off the jump which version is better toms even though he wrote it so he's a little biased or mr sir sir rod stewart he must have been knighted at this point
0: <laughs> i have a weird admission i've only know the tom version really and there's like a lot. There's a Patty Smith, there's Bob Seger, but I don't, and Rod Stewart, obviously. I've never heard any of them. I only know the Tom Waits song. So, it's funny that you're saying this, okay?
1: Because this was Tom's attempt at writing a pop song. Uh, he went so far as bringing in almost completely different band for it, including Hall & Oates guitarist and SNL band leader G.E. Smith, and King Crimson and Peter Gabriel bassist Tony Levin. Uh, this heartbreaker seems to be about a lonely and ignored guy who is in love with a nameless fellow subway passenger he sees often who doesn't know he exists. Um, these days, he's, he'd likely be considered a stalker uh, for finding out where she lives and standing outside, but hopefully he was just melancholy and harmless. That was a good little note, Morty, for writing that. That's my our writer um thoughts on this
0: um yeah i love i mean the song's awesome and it's a it's a highlight of the album um i think if the whole album was like tom wait's attempts at pop songs it'd be a bummer but because it just happened once um it's such a cool and also because the album's long so like if you're out track 17 to hear something else that sounds like you know tango till they're sore or gun street girl or rain dogs it'd be a little bit like okay so like for for um for this to be this like real departure and just like straight up pop song recorded in a in a scrappy way is so fun it's one of my favorite songs
1: you know what's funny and this is where where i think music is so great is that you know these these different versions can exist and be appreciated for their mm-hmm. versions and toms can be appreciated in rods and patties cuz they make it their own and i mean this sounds besides just the structure and and the melody just it's it's completely different than rods version um but i can't believe you you didn't no rod's version because and i need to listen dude that was a staple of my mom driving me to like the dentist back in like middle school <laughs> like it's it's good dude it's cheeseball mcgee but it's fucking dude it's <laughs> I mean, but rod kind of you know his later work no offense yeah. rod i know rod's a huge listener of the podcast yeah um, yeah he's always so we love him. you rod yeah we love you <laughs> don't worry buddy all right bride of rain dog uh another instrumental i want to move on to uh, the last track on the record, uh, "Anywhere I Lay My Head," um, and this is such a perfect way to end this record. Um, mm-hmm. So the album's ending with this New Orleans style funeral uh, uh, dirge uh, into a joyous upbeat second line featuring the Uptown Horns. Uh, Peter, play uh, twenty-eight seconds,
0: bro. You love
1: I mean this is This is a perfect way To end the record uh, This song uh, At least that part Like before I even Understood what it was about It, it just uh, It just brought me To tears hmm. It's so beautiful um, And it also Is a great way To end the record Because this feels Like it is just One full idea From start to finish Even though the song Changes It just It's It's, it's just perfect And, uh, Mm -hmm. and, and I do love this so much. Uh, Tom described this as a gospel thing. Um, your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 um, it, like he's singing so hard and gospely like and it's these like blues runs that in like s- that are pretty dicey in the wrong context like anywhere i lay my head. Yeah, yeah. like it's like kind of cheesy if like me if i do it or if the wrong person does it um but when tom does it and when there's that like when these this bed of horns beneath it is it's so emotional and and it it really it really like it makes me so curious as to how his brain works. Like, Oh, I'm going to do cliche blues runs and be, and by doing that over this kind of track, it's going to be like incredibly emotional and beautiful. Yeah, Like it's sort of like, it's, 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 um, it's, yeah, I feel like he, he's, he's on this other plane of like how thinking works and how ears work because he's putting these things together that are disparate. and, And sometimes like at the risk of being a no, no. And like, and it just feels like, Absolutely right,
1: yeah, so talking about songs that that bring me to tears, uh, and I wanted to mention this too at the beginning, but I figured I'd get to know you a little bit. your song uh my way back home uh is i mean <laughs> it, it's just I love that song and it's and it's really crazy because. Uh, I got into it uh, right around the time that I lost my best friend, my friend Angelo mm. Bowers, who is kind of the catalyst that got me uh, to do this podcast. Cause you know, I've explained it so many times on the podcast that he knew everything about music and, and, and just would make fun of me that I didn't know albums and uh, we, a tragedy had happened and, and Angelo passed away and that song, like it just, it just, mm. it's so powerful and just so beautiful Um, especially when the guitar comes in with that, I mean, just weeping dude. And it still gets me because when I knew you were coming up on this, I I don't know how I started listening to it recently, but then to kind of prep, to refresh with your music, it's like, I put it back on and it just takes me right there. So uh, I can't thank you enough, man, because it's such a beautiful, beautiful song.
0: Thanks for saying that, man. That really means a lot. That song, that song, I don't, yeah, I don't talk, people don't talk about that song that much, so it's really cool to hear that.
1: Oh, it's incredible. The first three songs off that record uh, are just great. Great Um, But that one, it's like, because that was right when I got Spotify, and I don't know how it's some, you made your way, that was when I first heard of Dawes. And then and then truth be told we both were on outside lands together. Oh, I was cool. performing as a comic and you guys were uh on one of the stages and I remember I showed up and I was like, "Fuck, dude, Dawes is on," and I ran over there to make sure because I, I had to watch you, and you <laughs> didn't play that song. So fuck you. I was mad, but you did play uh,
0: "When
1: yeah. My Time
0: Comes." That <laughs> I can't hit that note. <laughs> ah, oh, I did. I can barely hit it. Yeah. I did hit it.
1: Yeah, Great did. show, dude. Great show. Thanks, so man. I I wanted to wait to tell you that I was gonna tell you at the beginning. I was like, but dude, that'll be fucking weird. <laughs> I um, appreciate that. Do you want to do some facts and get you out of here? Sure. What what facts? Yeah. All right. But, facts. Here come the facts. 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 <laughs> it's hard, dude. Dude, that's hard. All right. Uh, Tom wouldn't rehearse the songs before recording. He would play them to the musicians on an old acoustic guitar with some creative and peculiar directions. Guitarist, Mark Ribot remembers one suggestion from Tom was <laughs> you're going to make me laugh. Play it like a midget's bar mitzvah. Jesus, Tom, it's 2020 man. <laughs> Jesus. So speaking of weird gigs, what's the strangest one you've ever played?
0: Oh man. Um, we've done some weird ones. Weirdest. I think, um,
1: I played a midgets bar mitzvah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I wish, I wish that was the answer. Um, you know, there's always that, um, that, that, in, especially in LA where like someone like, we're like Oh, we're doing this like after party or pre-party or something for some awards thing. And so come down to like Fred Siegel parking lot and all these people are going to pay attention. It's going to raise all this money. I don't even, remember, I wish I remember what it was, but it was in the Fred Siegel parking lot. And, um, we we're not we're not the biggest band but we're not the smallest band and we literally played to like zero people there was two places to hang out and you couldn't really talk if you were by the music so we were just playing like you know they paid us like a good amount of money and we're there playing to our sound man and being like what is our fucking lives this is the weirdest thing and everyone was hanging out somewhere else and um and it was just like yeah, it was just pretty mind blowing, but I think it still happens. Like we did that again in, in, in um, New York, actually like three years ago, where again, it was like some big benefit thing. I don't even remember what for all these people in tuxes and beautiful dresses at these big round tables. And like, and to finish off the night, we got Dawes and we go up on stage and it's literally the music people are leaving to. Yeah. And like, I think like three people stayed to watch just like in the it just sat there in the front, um, So I'm sure we have plenty more of those in the future, too. I actually miss them. <laughs> oh, God. Dude, if, when you talk about weird gigs as a
1: comedian right now, I'm performing <laughs> in the most strange places, like on beaches, museum steps, uh, <laughs> the, the lake in Echo Park. I, last night I was at the Magic Castle in a parking lot doing uh, a drive-in style, but they can't get out of their cars, so they, we don't hear their laughter. They have these like like bar mitzvah, midget bar mitzvah clappers that are like <laughs> – <laughs> terrible but that's the new norm and also you should know this uh taylor uh, performing for rich people fucking sucks because they're so (laughs) their heads are up their asses and they think their shit doesn't stink and little do they know that they're human beings and they should fucking they're they're being on they should be honored to hear your (laughs) music performed in the parking lot of fred siegel all right Uh, The time Tom spent in New York writing this album makes the city and it's down on their luck characters, his co-stars. To explain life in New York, Tom described it as a guy goes to the bathroom on the tire of a car, then a $70,000 car pulls up alongside and a woman with $150 stockings and a $700 shoe steps in a pool of blood, piss, and beer left by a guy who died a half hour before and is now lying cold somewhere on a slab. I mean... He's not wrong uh, besides l a what or where is your most inspiring location
0: um that's a cool question I mean it's weird I feel like everyone that I know um it's especially because i you know so many friends in music and 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 the, and and then also because I live in l a in TV and film, a lot of people like moving around so they have all these relationships with other places, and I don't like I, I was born here. I went to elementary school in Glendale, I went to high school in Malibu. Um, but I think like as time has gone on, um, I find like you know when you go to like a coffee shop in LA and you just kind of like pretend you're reading or something, but you're just listening to other people's conversations, they're inevitably talking about an audition or a script. yeah. Um, when I in Nashville, it's really cool. And I'm sure if I lived, if you live there, it might get a little, um, you know, relentless, but, um, I don't, have never lived there. And then like a couple months here and there just to make records. Mm-hmm. And whenever I've been there and I'm doing that same thing and I'm at a coffee shop and I end up hearing what someone else is talking about. It's always about music. It's always about songs. And yeah, it's still the same hustle. It's still the same. Like we're trying to get into the hands of so-and-so cause they might, they're looking for songs about this or whatever. um, And but but for a songwriter, it's like wow, I'm not used to this, and there and it just it ends up being something that just feels like rejuvenating, like oh wow, I want to get back home and like finish that song I was thinking about because everybody else is doing it.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you said that about the screenplays in New York, uh, not New York, in Los Angeles. Uh, one of our former guests, another comic, Fahim Anwar, has this joke because it's like you're, you know, that there's people always writing screenplays at coffee shops, and he's like, like, what if you found out that the guy wrote Schindler's List at like the Starbucks on Cuenca? You're like, it really just takes away from like the depth of the fucking movie. Uh, all right, last fact. Uh, This was great, man. This was so great. Um, uh, They put out a lovely black and white video for Downtown Train directed by Jean-Baptiste Mondino, who had just made the popular video for Don Henley's Boys of Summer. It features Tom singing and dancing around New York and some acting by boxer Jake LaMotta, the subject of the 1980 movie Raging Bull. Um, I don't know how he got this question, but I'm going to read it. If you had to pick another profession, what would it be?
0: Um, I mean, my, I, I, I've always like flipped over novelists. I don't know how to do it. I don't think I ever will know how to do it, but, um, but I have like to me, like the bigger rock stars than like Dylan and Neil or, or like the writers, you know? Um, so that's, I, that's something that I wish I knew to do. My brother, um uh, he's our drummer and he's, um, he's always saying that, um, you know, if, and when we aren't going to be able to go back on tour, one job he always talks about, and he's not joking, is that he wants to uh, maybe uh, dig graves. I don't even think anyone does that. I don't even think that's the job anymore. I think they got a machine for it. But he still is like, I just feel like that'll like, bring me, like, it'll be good for my relationship with mortality and keep me outside and like, keep me in shape. So um, yeah, if, if, if we don't ever get to go back on tour, go look, at your, go look for Griffin Goldsmith as your like, local gravedigger if you live in Altadena it was just love. Like there's going to be like a family, like, Oh my
1: God, uncle Frank. Oh my God. Is that the fucking drummer for dolls? All right. Oh God. Uh, I mean, it's a profession and it's never going to stop. They're always going to be grave diggers. Um, But man, I, I said it a moment ago. Uh, God, I can't thank our buddy Chris Sullivan for connecting us. Uh, I had a blast, man. Um, So hopefully you did too. Um, So promote away anything you want to promote. I know you have the new album. Just go ahead, whatever you want to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, the new album's called Good Luck With Whatever. Um, You know, normally when we put out a record, that seems like the beginning of something because when then we go tour it for the next year and a half. But in this case, we can't. So it's sort of like, oh, well, now it's, I guess on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but we're really proud of it. And it's, it's, it's felt really good getting it out there. And we hope that we'll be able to play some kind of show. Eventually we're going to go do our first few uh, uh, drive-in shows. Not sure how to feel about that, aren't but you I'm, doing I'm something looking forward at, to it. Aren't you doing something at like Rose bowl or something? No, one's in Anaheim and one's in um, OC.
1: I want to come to one of those shows. If you don't mind. Yeah. Can totally. you, can you do me a favor? Can you play my way back home?
0: <laughs> I actually don't know if we could do that because we haven't been able to rehearse in so long and we God! don't know that one live anymore. The yeah. ballerina <laughs> and <a> the <teenage>. phoenix. <laughs> you know
1: what? Fuck it, dude. Grab a guitar right now. You fucking sing it for me. That's payment. <laughs> I, I, I would if you want. No, I, I mean, <laughs> should I? Oh, no, just, you don't. <laughs>
0: you
1: can't. I mean, that would be fucking boss, though, if you did. But yeah, go keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off.
0: No, just, yeah, so we're going to try those out we're going to do a couple couple drive-in shows see how that feels and um that's that's really all we got going on right now then we're gonna go record i think because we have nothing better to do and just i keep writing songs because i'm not busy on tour so i think we're just gonna make make another one yeah everybody
1: i mean it i dug it yesterday on my ride home from vegas listen to the new album uh listen to their older stuff uh an incredible band man and just an incredible guy so i can't thank you enough for coming on thanks for having Uh, me man my pleasure What did I tell you? What did I tell you? What an only uh, Taylor Goldsmith. For all things Taylor, go to Dawes' website, com. Find him on Instagram at Taylor Dawes Goldsmith and find him on Twitter. Well, it's really Dawes' Twitter at Dawes the Band. Also, get their new record good luck with whatever you can find it on all platforms it's incredible buy it support it put it on every musical streaming service and just let it play it's a perfect record and check out their older catalog man i'm telling you what i said about uh, my way back home that song just like touches me and i love it so much It, it makes me think of angelo um so yeah man Dude, dig into Dawes. Also, if you live in the Anaheim area, Dawes is doing a socially distanced concert, drive-in style. Saturday, October 17th, I'm going, you should too. The socially distanced drive-in concert is also a fundraising event for Southern California public radio station 88.5 FM. You can get the tickets at 88.5 FM.org or access.com. See you on October 17th. Don't forget about the goddamn comedy jam, guys. I can't stress enough. You're going to have the greatest time. Tickets at the500podcast.com. Please join me. Now, we just listened to Tom Waits from 1985. This week, we decided we're going to keep it simple and promote the new music of our guest. This is Dawes, Taylor's band. You're listening to Still Feel Like a Kid off their new record, Good Luck With Whatever. It is influenced by I Don't Want to Grow Up Which is awful of Mule Variations But guess what, it's still Tom Waits So I could give a fuck It's a dope song, listen to it right now Download it, do everything, by the record You can find the links to the music On our website, the500podcast.com And if you are in a band Or directly influenced by one of these albums Or artists, and you want your music featured On the 500, send your song To 500 podcast at gmail.com Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is ZZ Top Week. We're going deep into their 1983 incredible album, Eliminator. And we got a good guest for you. You got some homework to do. Listen to the record. Stay fleecy. Doodle. Wait. Tom, you want to finish it? Doodle, doodle. It's a little
0: sore, but I still feel like a kid. I got dreams.